Well, hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. Hey, we hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning to all of you today. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Worshiping together, wonderful to be able to worship the Lord together in community. There's something great about that, just the corporate worship of God uh, here today. We are in a series of messages called God Is, and the purpose of this series is to learn about uh, the names of God, to look and see that uh, who God is matters. Who God is is vitally important. The names in Bible times defined a person's character. They defined a person's nature. They defined a person's uh, purpose, and they defined a person's attributes. And it works the same in some ways with us today. Your names today, it's not just your given name, it's your names that you're called, the names that you have really define the relationship that people have with you. For example, they may call you mom, they may call you dad, they may call you brother or sister or pastor, or in my case, when I got my master's degree, I told my wife to start calling me master. She did not appreciate that too much. Um, But that's another name that can be used to define that relationship. You know, there was a famous story of Alexander the Great. Uh, Alexander the Great was, um, he was a a famous leader, a famous general that came in and really took over the whole Middle Eastern region. It would have been after the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire would have come in and Alexander had a person in his troops that had the same name that he had. His name was Alexander, but this guy was known for very bad behavior, very poor um, uh, following of, of orders. And, and an authority. And so Alexander the Great called this person into his tent for a meeting and said, I'm hearing these reports about who you are and what you're doing. And uh, Alexander told him essentially this, either change your name or change your character because you will not represent me. That's the picture of what a name is. A name is a representation of a person. It defines a person. It gives the nature and the character of a person. And that's what we have been That's what we have been uh, looking at and getting for ourselves. We have been looking at God and his names to be able to know him better. In in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of Adonai, the name of the Lord, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is set safely up high. That is who God is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And to get to know God in a powerful way, in a profound way, will help us truly grow in our relationship with him. God wants us to know him. In Psalm 46.10, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. God wants us to know him. Not just know about him, but know him in an intimate, profound way, that we really know who he is. The word know, interestingly, in the Hebrew language, is the same word that it says when Adam, it says Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived a child. So the 
picture of that knowing is an intimate knowledge of, that God wants us to know him intimately, profoundly. And that's what we've been trying to do through this God is series. And we started off with understanding that he is the answer to our greatest needs in life. Week one, we looked at the fact that God is Elohim. He is the creator. He is the one who has created all. He has put everything into motion as the creator. You're part of his creation, and he created you with a purpose. You're not just a random accident that was placed here on the world at a certain time. You have been created by your creator, by Elohim, with a purpose that he wants you to fulfill. We also got to know him as Yahweh in week two. Now, the word Yahweh, the yod heh vav heh in the Hebrew language is the word that means the eternal, the unchanging, the promise-keeping God. He said, I am. This is what my name is. I am. I am who I am. Basically, God is. He is present. He is keeping his word. He is a promise-keeping God. And we learned that that really gives us security in life because we can look to him and know that his promises are true. The third week, we learned that he is Adonai, and that is the fact that he is the ruler or master. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so this is a progression in the relationship with him. We know him as creator. We get to know him as Yahweh. Then we know him as master and ruler, where I come to him and I submit my life to him. I surrender my heart and my mind to him. I surrender all of my actions and my attitudes to him, all of my behavior, all of my possessions, my family. Everything comes under his lordship and his rule because he is king of kings, lord of lords. Now, last week we learned that he is El Shaddai, and El Shaddai means that he is the almighty the immovable, the immovable, but also the caregiving God. He is the one who is the one we can call upon or come to for dependence. He wants a dependent relationship with us that we recognize that we will trust and depend, depend upon him for everything in life. And what we learned last week is that he gives us the power to do life, to live life, and it comes through that deep connection and that deep dependence upon him. Today, what we are going to learn is the fact that God is the one who provides. So let's pray and get into this today. Father, we just come before you today wanting to hear from you, wanting to learn from you, wanting you to be that God in our lives, that not only are you the creator God, but you are the Yahweh God, you are Adonai, you are the Lord and master, the ruler, and Lord, you are El Shaddai, and today, Lord, we want to learn how, the, how you are the provider of all in our lives and how you work out our lives and what your underlying purpose is for our lives, how you're growing us up, how you're shaping us and changing us, the things that you allow us to go through, Lord, in order to shape us and make us more like you. Father, I pray that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would be in this place. And Lord, I do pray for the other churches in our community today that are preaching your word that you would give them favor and success, and that your word would not go out void, that your word would do great work in the hearts of all who are listening. Thank you, Father, for the time that we can share together today. Lord, please bless this time. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
Well, today we're going to look at this idea, God being the provider. Where does this come out of? Where do we find this idea? And it comes out of Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. And it's a story that happens with God and Abraham. And we learned a little bit about Abraham last week, but we're going to learn more about him today. In Genesis 22, 14, it says these words, Abraham named that place Adonai Yirah. As it is said today, on the mountain, Adonai will provide. Now, the name Adonai, where you see that capitalized, in your version of the Bible, it may say the word Lord. L-O-R-D. Anytime you see the word Lord and it is capitalized, it is a reference to the word Yahweh. The Jewish people did not want to pronounce the word Yahweh because they felt like that was a holy name for God. They wanted to reverence the name of God, and so they substituted the name Yahweh with the name Adonai or the name Lord. That's why we see that in our Bible. But not only that, the Jewish people later in society would want to reverence the name even more, so they would come up with a made-up name, and it's the name that we know today as Jehovah. Jehovah is actually a made-up name by a group of people because they wanted to reverence the name of God. What they did was they took the consonants from the name Yahweh, they took the vowels from the name Adonai, they crammed them all together, and they came up with this made-up name called Jehovah. So sometimes you will see this phrase saying Jehovah Jireh or Adonai Yireh in the Hebrew. In your other versions of the Bible, like in the English Standard Translation, it says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So the Lord will provide. He was disclosing another name that he had, and this name is the Lord, or Adonai, or Yahweh, Yirah. Or we know it as Jehovah Jireh. You'll see that name often uh, as you read and as you study. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's what the definition is. There's three things that I want to show you with this. Number one, the first part of the definition Yira means to see. What it indicates is this, that the Lord sees. The Lord is seeing something. When the Lord sees, it moves into the next part of the verse or the definition, which is this. The word means to provide. So that's the second part of the word. So we have the word to see, and then we have the word to provide. So literally, here's what this word means. It means when God sees, God provides. Somewhere in the combination of these two names, to see and to provide, there is a relationship between God seeing and God providing. When we look at the word to provide, we just think of provision. God provided for Abraham based upon what he saw with Abraham in regards to the way that Abraham lived his life. So there's two ways that this phrase works out, and we'll, let's talk about those for just a second. Part one is this, God sees our need and shows up at just the right time to meet our need. Now, that's the most common definition. That's the one that people like the most because it means that I don't have to do anything. God just sees what I need, and he just shows up and takes care of what I need. The problem with that is that it could create very selfish people. 
we don't have to live for God. We would just be in need. God will see the need and then he'll come through and meet my need. We have a lot of people that name it and claim it with that kind of attitude. Name it and claim it with saying, I need a million dollars. I will claim a million dollars. God, you'll provide me a million dollars because you see my need and you'll provide for my need. Well, that's the way that the word is that we try to define it, but that's not the actual definition of the word. The actual jef- definition of Yehovah or, or Yahweh Yira is this. God sees our obedience and shows up at just the right time to meet our need. See, that's the way that the definition really works. God sees in Abraham obedience, and as a result of Abraham's obedience, God shows up and provides. It's the way it is with you and I. God sees your faith and he shows up in the midst of that faith to provide what you need. God sees your faithfulness. God sees your kindness. God sees your gentleness. God sees your love. And when God sees that kind of heart and that kind of attitude, he shows up to provide and meet that need. It's not meaning God sees your selfishness and then he just shows up and provides. It's God sees your faithfulness. He looks at your marriage, for example, that is suffering. And he knows that in that marriage that is suffering, you're still being faithful. You're still trying. You're still working. You're still trusting in God. And God provides the strength that you need to be able to face it. It doesn't mean that God sees your bad marriage and sees what a jerk you're being and then just provides for you anyway. God sees faithfulness. And as a result of faithfulness, God provides. So I want to look today at this full story of Abraham and what was going on in that story where God or where Abraham said the Lord provides this is God's name. It can really be broken down into three parts, and I think that we can relate to this very powerfully today. And so let's start with this story, and let's get a feel for what it's all about, and let's start with the first point, and and I just want you to take note of this and remember these points. Number one, God puts us through a testing process. I don't know how many of you know that that's the way that the life works, but God will put us through a testing process. Abraham is going to be put through an incredible testing process. Now, Abraham, just to remind you a little of the context of the story, Abraham was encountered by God. God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. And he said to Abraham these words, you're going to have a multitude of people coming out of your lineage. You're going to be the father of a multitude of people. Look at the stars in the sky. Look at the sand on the seashore. Try to count them all. You can't. That's how many really children or or generations are going to come after you. This is how many people are going to flow out of your lineage. Now, there was a problem with that. And the problem was that Abraham and Sarah could not have children. Sarah was barren. They didn't have any children. How would God possibly come through? Well, last week we talked about it. God, came, They came through or they tried to manufacture the blessing themselves by, by letting Abraham go and be with his wife's servant, Hagar. They had a child named Ishmael. Ishmael, by the way, became the father of the Arab nations, which would war 
with Israel up to this day. They tried to manufacture it themselves. God said, no way, this is not the way it's going to happen. I will provide for you a son. Well, this was impossible, they thought, because they were old. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old. She was barren, never had a son. And all of a sudden, now she gets pregnant. Now they conceive. And now they give birth to a son named Isaac. God had fulfilled the promise that he had made to them so many years ago in God's time. Not in their time, but in God's time. Now with the son... It seems like everything could happen and everything could be fulfilled the way God intended it to be fulfilled. Well, God is going to put them through an incredible testing of their faith. Do you know that God is more concerned with who we are becoming than he is with making your life easy and comfortable? God cares about who you are becoming, who I am becoming. That is more important to God than a life of ease and comfort, a life of, of luxury and pleasure. That's not what God cares about. God cares about who you and I are becoming as people. He cares more about your character. He cares more about your heart. He cares more about you than he does about making life easy. We all go through times of testing and trials in our lives. In fact, it has been said this way that you are either in a trial now you're just coming out of a trial or you're getting ready for a trial. That's the way life works. You're either coming out of a testing time, you've been in a testing time, you're in the middle of a testing time, or you're about to go into a testing time. God uses these things for a purpose, and we are going to see this here today. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, here's what it says. Now it was after these things that God tested Abraham. I want you to notice that word tested. After these things, God tested Abraham. Put yourself in that sentence. After these times, God tested me. After these things, God tested you. Just insert your name. Have you been undergoing any testing of your faith? If not, be prepared because it's coming your way. God said to him, Abraham. Abraham responded, here I am. Then God said something that is just bizarre to most of us. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, that child of the promise, the child that I told you I was going to give you. Go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains about which I will tell you. A bizarre exchange that was happening, one that's hard to wrap our brains around. Why, God, would you give them Isaac only to say, I want you to give your son back to me. I want you to sacrifice your son on that mountain. First thought that comes to my mind, probably the same thought that comes to your mind is, is this who God is and does he still do this today? Well, let me give you the answer to that. God is, again, more concerned about who you are becoming than he is about making life easy and comfortable. Does God still cause you to, to uh, sacrifice your children? Well, the answer to that is no. There are only two occasions in the Bible where a son was sacrificed or a son was talked about as a sacrifice. One was Abraham with Isaac, which was a foreshadowing of God sacrificing his only son, Jesus, on the cross, the son whom he loved, the same way that, that Abraham loved Isaac, even more so God loved his son and was willing to sacrifice his son at the same place, the same location, 
for the sins of the world. He is not in the process of doing that. However, God does tell you that he wants you to be willing to put him ahead of everyone else in your life, including your children. Now, some of us get that backwards because we put God behind our children. We put God behind our spouse. We put God behind our jobs. We put God behind other aspects of life. We put God behind fishing and hunting and golf and the Denver Broncos, and we put him behind everything else. God wants to be first and the priority in life, and we put him first, and we put him in the priority. So God was going to test Abraham, and he said, here's how I'm going to test you. I want you to take your son, and I want you to be willing to sacrifice your son. Again, that's a foreshadowing of what would happen with Jesus. Hebrews 11:17 gives us a little insight into what was going on. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Yes, he who had received the promises was offering up his one and only son. Now, Abraham isn't the only person in life that was ever tested or ever will be tested. You and I are tested on a regular basis. James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Happy is the one who endures testing, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. Now, let me explain how this process works. We are all tested on a daily basis, and you didn't even know it. You're constantly being tested. You're being tested to see how you will respond, what will come out of your life when you undergo a test. Tests can go, range from very little and very minor to very major and very large in our lives. But we are all being tested. When you undergo a test, what God wants to see come out of you is faith. Is faith coming out of you when you're tested? What is the evidence of a life that has been changed? Well, the most common evidence of a life that has been changed is that what comes out of us is the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those fruits of the Spirit come out of us when we undergo tests. So let me give you examples of how testing works every day, and let's see how many of you have failed those tests today already on your way here to church. One test could happen in driving. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but in Gillette, or wherever you live, bigger city, small city, people are notoriously rotten drivers. They're terrible drivers. I don't know if you've noticed that around here. Uh, by the way, if you're a bad driver, do not put a Journey Church bumper sticker on your car. We do not want that to be the, the uh, witness for our church when you're driving around town. When you are cut off in traffic... Or when you are stopped in traffic for some reason, or when traffic is really backed up, how do you respond? If somebody is cutting you off, they've cut you off, they're a terrible driver, they just cut you right off, do you respond by laying on the horn and choosing to give them a salute with a certain part of your hand because that's what's coming out of you? 
Do you just get angry and blow up? Do you step on the gas? Do you get right on their bumper? Now, I could say that I have done that. I'm not proud of that, but I have done that in the past. But it's been a while, I think. You'd have to ask my wife. But I think it's been a long time. How do you respond when you undergo things like that? Or do you realize and recognize that, you know what, maybe they just didn't see me here. Maybe they were distracted. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're going through a struggle and they just weren't aware. Maybe I need to show them grace. See, driving is a test in life. And you're tested, your faith is tested, because what God is doing is he is seeing what's going to come out. What comes forth? That's the purpose of a test. A test shows you what you really know and what you really say. If you're, if you're a student and you go to school and you take a test and all of a sudden you get into class and your teacher says, uh, pop quiz time, or they say, we're having a test, and you think, uh-oh, I never studied for this. I didn't even read the book. I have no idea what this is about. Tests call forth what is really inside. It calls forth what's in here and in here. When you're tested, God is calling forth what's really in your heart. If you say, I'm a person of faith, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then you react the way that the world reacts or you respond the way that the world responds, you have just demonstrated that maybe my faith is not as real as I think it is, or maybe I'm not as grounded as I think I am, or maybe I haven't overcome this the way that I thought it did. It's not just driving. It could be stress at home. You're at home. You've had a stressful day. You come home. The kids are demanding, and how do you respond to the kids that are demanding? Do you blow up? Do you get angry? Are you short-tempered? What you are demonstrating is through the test that I'm really not being who God has called me to be or wants me to be. There's some work that God needs to do in my life. When your spouse frustrates you, do you blow up at your spouse? When your spouse frustrates you, do you give him or her the silent treatment? Do you become passive aggressive? Those are all ways that you're being tested and the tests are calling forth what's really in your heart and in your mind. And God is working to reveal that. So God says, look, happy is the one who endures testing because here's the purpose of the test. I am trying to get you to the crown of life. I am trying to refine you and, and shape you and make you into who I want you to be. 1 Peter 1 gives us a little bit more clarity of this. Look what it says. You rejoice in this greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. These trials are so that the metal of your faith, far more valuable than gold, which perishes through, though refined by fire, may come to light in praise and glory at the honor of the revelation of Messiah, Yeshua. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to test you so that your true metal comes to the surface. Now, you've all heard this, I'm sure, in the past, but the way that they would refine metals is they, they would heat up a metal, and as they heated up a metal, the, the uh, contaminants in the metal or the dross in gold will rise to the surface. They can scrape it off and remove it so they can keep purifying and refining that metal. God is saying, I'm going to purify you and I am going to refine you so that I can make you a pure metal. 
When I look in you, I can see a reflection of my face because I am seeing purity. I am seeing a pure metal. So God allows testing for a real purpose to bring us and to grow us up into who he wants us to be. See, there's no accident of why you're maybe in the job that you're in, or maybe you have the struggles in your job. Maybe you've gone through loss. Maybe you've gone through addiction struggles, or you've gone through temptations. God is growing you up and shaping you in order to refine you and make you who he wants you to be. Do you know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, no temptation. Now, the word temptation is the same word in Greek for test or trial. So read it this way. No test has taken hold of you except what is common to mankind. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested beyond what you can handle. But with the test, he will also provide a way of escape so you will be able to endure it. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to give you the strength that you need in order to take you through the trial, through the test. You're not going to have an escape ramp. I'm going to give you this, the strength you need, so that you'll be able to endure through this. God allows testing in our lives in order to shape us, to grow us, to make us who he wants us to be. So right now, you're being tested. You're in a test. You just came out of a test or you're preparing to go into one. If we are going to be the people that God wants us to be as the world faces more and more persecution, our faith has got to become stronger. The little tests are preparing us for bigger tests and bigger tests and bigger so that someday we can face the persecutions that I really believe are coming our way. So number one, he was being prepared through these tests. The testing were the preparation. Number two, God prepares us with his promises. What does he prepare us for? He prepares us for these tests by giving us promises that we can hold on to as we go through life and we face life. Look what it says for Abraham. Now, again, I want you to note this as we read through this next section. Abraham... Again, think of the definition. God is Jehovah Yireh or Yahweh Yireh, meaning the Lord provides. What does he do? The two definitions, he sees and he provides. There's the relationship between God seeing and God providing. I want you to notice some words that I'm going to highlight here for you of what God is seeing in Abraham after he told him, take your son and sacrifice him to me. Look what it says, starting in verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and got up and went to the place about which God had told him. Now, I want to stop right there, and I want you to notice these words. Abraham, he got up, he saddled his donkey, he took two of his young men with him, he split wood, and then he got up and he went. Now, what does that sound like to you? Those are all words used to describe obedience. He did exactly what God told him to do. He did what God asked him to do, even though he didn't know what God was going to do. You understand that? 
God asks of us to do things when we don't understand what he's actually doing. There are times in our lives that God has said, follow me, do this, say this, go there, and we have no idea why. But God is saying, just follow and be obedient. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. Partial obedience is really complete disobedience. He is calling us and saying to us, you do what I'm telling you, be obedient, because I am doing something greater than you, that you don't even understand. You've heard, because I've mentioned it before, this poem called The Weaver. Does that ring a bell for anybody? The poem called The Weaver. And I don't have the poem. You can look it up later. But the poem is essentially this. It is a tapestry that is being woven. Jennifer and I have had the privilege of going to a few different uh, castles, and we have seen old tapestries from generations ago. And you look, if you look at the backside of that tapestry, what you're going to see is threads running everywhere, and it looks pretty terrible. God is doing a weaving. He is weaving threads, but all we see is the backside. We don't see the finished product. We just see the backside. And it's not until God turns it over that we can see really what he was doing the whole time. When we are tested, God is asking for obedience even though we don't see the finished product. Is there anything in your life that God is just saying, obey me, follow me, listen to me? You don't see what I'm doing, but I am doing something great. God doesn't always let us in on the things that he is doing, but God just says, trust me, just, just keep following, go up that hill, be willing to offer these things up because I am doing something great and I am gonna do something amazing in your sight, so just trust me in this process. We'll keep going in this. It says, Abraham said to his young men, sit yourselves down here with the donkey. As for me and the young man, we'll go over there, we'll worship and we'll return to you. Notice that he says, we'll return to you. So Isaac knew God was not going to either let him go through with this or God was going to do something amazing and resurrect him. God, uh, Abraham knew something was going to happen. We'll return to you. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and put it on Isaac, his son. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Then Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, put it on uh, I think I just read that. Okay, he said, look, here's the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God has promised, I will provide. God will provide for himself a lamb. I don't know where it's going to come from. I don't know how it's going to come from, but I know that God is going to come through. Again, Hebrews 11 clarifies this a little bit more. Look at what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Yes, he who had received the promises was offering up his one and only son, the one about whom it was said, through Isaac, offspring shall be named for you. He reasoned that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, and in a sense, he did receive him back from there. So what, what was Abraham doing? He knew God would come through. He just didn't know how he would come through, but he was determined that he would follow God no matter what. Psalm 119.50 says this, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. 
See, God's promises are what enable us to go through those trials and those tests and those things that shape our faith. We hang on to those promises knowing, God, that you're going to come through, that you will provide. I just don't know how it's going to happen, but I will trust you every step of the way. We can summarize it in this way. God's promises strengthen us inwardly so we can conquer outwardly. Number three, God preserves us with his provision. Do you know that God provides at just the right time when we need it? I saw that happen yesterday. Yesterday, it it was a tough day for our family. Um, Yesterday, we had a, a beloved pet pass away. Now, many of you have gone through that. You know, that's, that's hard because it's like this is a part of our family. Uh, and we have had this, this dog as part of our family for years. This dog was a little beagle. And she was one month from being 17 years old. She was, lived a long life. And she had really shut down the past few days. In fact, about three day, days ago, she stopped eating and stopped drinking. And you just could see it. She was just shutting down. And uh, this dog, by the way, was the greatest surprise I had ever pulled off in my life. Let let me just tell you quickly about this, because it was awesome. Um, This dog, my daughter, Alyssa, um, she was there with the dog. It was a good friend of hers, but this, the mom beagle had all of these pups, and she was there from day one. And she picked out Claire from day one. And she was there every day after school. She was there all days for the weekends. She just was around this dog all the time. Well, she wanted the dog badly. And I kept saying to her, honey, we already have a dog. We can't have another dog. I'm sorry. We're just not going to get another dog. But she was persistent. She really wanted this dog. So what happened was I was coming back to town from, from a meeting that I had had, and I called the owners of the dog, and I had said to them, I want to buy that dog for my daughter, but I don't want you to tell her anything. Don't tell her a word. I will be by there, and I will pick up the dog, and then I will, I'll give it to her. Well, that evening, we had come, I had come in from a meeting, and uh, I told Jennifer, just bring the kids. Let's go meet at Pizza Hut. They have their buffet. Let's go meet there, and let's talk about the dog. Well, I had already had the dog, and I had put the dog in the vehicle, and the, and the, the vehicle was running. It was the middle of winter in North Dakota. And I got into the Pizza Hut with the kids, and I, Alyssa was there, and we were talking. It was time for the dog to, you know, to go to an owner. And I told Alyssa, honey, I'm sorry. We just can't get another dog. And she was, she was really wanting this dog badly. She is such a dog person. Um, she was wanting this dog so badly. And uh, I said, no, we're, we're, we just can't do it. By the end of the meal, she was in tears. And I said, honey, we can't, you, I'm sorry, you cannot have another dog. And she hated me. I mean, there was a hatred that she had. It would have lasted all of her life if, if this story hadn't turned out better. I said, Jennifer, here's the credit card. You go ahead and pay. I'm going to go start your vehicle for you because uh, mine was already running. I'm going to start your vehicle for you. So I got out there, started her vehicle, took the box with the dog in it, put it in the back seat of the vehicle, and the kids all got in, and they could see just the little eyes peeking over the box, and I was the hero. I went from the most hated villain in the world to the hero in just, in, in about five minutes, and uh, 
It was priceless. So this dog had been with us for so long. She had been with us for 17 years, a wonderful part of the family, and she, we knew she was, she was dying. Could, you could see it. You could, it, was, she was just, it was in bad shape. So yesterday I made an appointment. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to take her in. Everybody's gone. They knew this. They had said goodbye to her. I'm going to have to take her in. And I just prayed, Lord, I, don't, I just don't want to take her in. Could you just, could you just take her I just don't want to, I don't want to have that memory of taking her in. I just, would you just please take her? Well, she had lasted all day and the appointment was later in the afternoon and it was about 15 minutes before the appointment and I was just going to get her ready to take her and all of a sudden she was gone. And it was like the Lord just answered a prayer at the moment I needed it. The Lord provides in the little and in the big, he provides, he sees, he knows, he sees your faith. And God has a way of coming through remarkably in the exact moment. It's never too early. I would like it to happen, you know, weeks ahead of time, but God takes it down to the moment, 15 minutes before, and that's when he chooses to do. It was an answer to prayer. It was good for the whole family. It was not good because it was sad, but it was good that we were able to say goodbye to her, able that it was happen, able to happen there. God comes through. God provides. God answers his promises that he makes. Let's look at the rest of the story. It says, Then they came to the place about which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, laid out the wood, bound up Isaac his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Vile language. But then the angel of Adonai, by the way, that is always thought of by theologians as a reference to Jesus in the Old Testament. Again, when you see Adonai, our Lord, capitalized, the real word is Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here am I. Then he said, do not reach out your hand against the young man. Do nothing to him at all. And look at what the purpose of all of this was about. For now I know that you are one who fears God. You did not withhold your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold, there was a ram or lamb caught in the thick bushes by its horns. Remember, there are only two times that this ever happened in the Bible. This, this is not a common occurrence. God is not going to tell you to sacrifice your child. One time was Abraham and his son Isaac, and there was a reason God wanted to know, are you the one who fears God? Because I'm putting all of this nation in your hands. But, and now I know. Later, Jesus would be the Lamb of God who would be sacrificed in the same location for the sins of the world, God would not withhold him, his only son, for the sake of the world. So Abraham went, he took the ram, he had offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham named that place Adonai Yirah, the Lord provides. As it is said today, on the mountain, Adonai will provide. The angel of Adonai called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I swear, it is a declaration of Adonai. 
Because you have done this thing and you did not withhold your son, your only son, I will richly bless you and bountifully multiply your seed like the stars of heaven, like the sand that is on the seashore, and your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you obeyed my voice. Then Abraham returned to his young men. They got up, they went together to Beersheba. Then Abraham dwelled in Beersheba. God will provide. Ultimately, it'll be about 3,000 years later that he will give his son as the Lamb of God who will be the provision. The Lord will provide still to this day. God provides his son that we might have salvation through him. That in Jesus, the Lamb, God's only begotten son, the son whom he loves so dearly, He sacrificed him for the world. All of the sin that you and I have ever committed were put upon his shoulders. He was crucified, placed upon that cross so that we would have provision by God. The Lord provides. God is, he's our Yahweh Yira. He is the one who puts us through a testing process. He prepares us with his promises. He preserves us with his provision. And ultimately, God is trying to get to your heart. He's trying to get to who you are. He's not as concerned about your comfort. He's not concerned about ease in life. He's concerned about who you are and what you will be and the character that you have. God may not be telling you to offer up your son, but he may be telling you that there's some other things in your life that you do need to offer up. Some of you, he may say to you, I want you to offer up your bank account. Not that you're going to turn around and just write a check to the church. I'm not saying that. Offer up your bank account, meaning you let me be in control of this. You let me be in charge. He may say to you, offer up your house. Don't you worship your house. You let me have your house, and I will use it for, your say, for my sake. He may be saying to you, I want you to offer up your job. He may be saying, I want you to offer up your kids. Not that you're going to offer up your kids like you're going to sacrifice them, but offer them up to me. Let me be in control of their lives. He may say, offer up your marriage. He may say, offer up yourself. Put yourself on that altar and let me be the one that controls your life. God is our Yahweh Yira. He is the God who provides. He always comes through. He comes through often when he sees faith. When he sees the faith of Abraham, he came through in a miraculous way. When he sees your faith, God comes through as well. He doesn't reward selfishness. He rewards faithfulness. Are you that kind of person? Are you that person of faith? Do you know him as your Yira? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who provides. You come through in just the right time at just the right moment. Lord, you do take us through a testing time in life. We are often tested because, Lord, we are having our faith shaped and refined by you. I pray, Lord, that you would do a work here among us, in our hearts, Lord, that we would be people of faith, that we would be people like the example of Abraham, that will obey you no matter what, even when we don't understand and even when it doesn't make sense, Lord, we will still say, yes, Lord, here I am and I will do what you're calling me to do. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for always providing. 
Thank you for coming through at just the right moment. Never too soon, never too late, always perfectly in your time. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com, and hit the Give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.